If I ask you uh, what you think the greatest needs of humanity is, uh, depending on where you come from and uh, your experience in life, I imagine we'll get you know, a wide range of, uh, of, of options. Perhaps people might say terrorism is, is, a, is a highly important matter. Uh, the North Koreans, they just filed, fired the missiles again, and uh, the, the world leaders got together at G20 um, meeting, and uh, it was one of those hotly debated um, topics. Do you know uh, if North Koreans fire missiles, uh, it'll reach Australia? And so we are not um, immune from the threat. Other people might say, well, it's, it's the, the rise of uh, terrorism and, and ISIS and the violence that is being committed to innocent people. Uh, it is a serious issue. Discrimination on the basis of culture, uh, gender, sexuality, all those things might be the most important issue in your mind. Other people will say, what, it's the, the global warming, it's the environment. It is the poverty, it is the social injustice, it is the imbalance in trade, it is all these kind of issues that we struggle with. Uh, what is the greatest need of the humanity in our modern time? Well, you might be thinking, I don't have time to think about these global issues. Um, I have the immediate pressing need for me in my situation. I mean, we just lost a dear brother. And how do we cope with that? My family's fallen apart because we've been fighting with each other over certain issues in, 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 um, amongst ourselves. I've just lost my job. My relationship is not going very well with my wife or my husband. It is really, really difficult. I don't have time to think about anything else. I don't know where the next meal's going to come from. I have this chronic disease that, cannot, that I cannot shake off. There are all these pressing needs in our life. And yet, in the midst of all this, God is telling us that our greatest need is his forgiveness. Now, often um, uh, something that is most important is something that sounds so unrealistic, so irrelevant. We don't see the immediate need and therefore, well, I don't really care uh, about those issues. There are more pressing, immediate, urgent needs. It's a little bit like global warming, I suppose. You know, um, uh, we know the global warming's there, although there are some scientists who say, well, uh, it's just a figment of imagination, we don't have to worry too much about it. But, you know, it, it, it sounds right to me, because every summer it just gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and we, we experience all kinds of weird weather conditions uh, in our country. We know it's there, but we don't do much about it, because, well, you know, uh, it, it's not as if the war's going to end tomorrow. Um, at least for the next 50 years or so, as long as I live on this earth, it's not going to affect me too much. So we don't feel the immediate urgency of, of the issue, but we know it is kind of a, a huge ramification down the track. And so it's a little bit like that as well. The Bible is telling us that the greatest human need is his forgiveness. And we say, uh, maybe, but it is not an immediate issue for me personally. Now, if you're a person 
who came to church for the first time this morning or been coming along for a while, thinking that there is some uneasiness in your mind, that there's more to life than just whatever, whatever you've been doing, and you, you sort of feel that, that I've got to do something about this, I've, I'm really, really glad that you came this morning because what I'm about to say to you will touch your nerve. The Bible reminds us that the greatest human need is his forgiveness. We need his forgiveness because we all, without exception, turned our back against him, we've rejected him, we've said no to him, and that we decided to run our life our own way. We say, well, I don't really need God, I can manage my life perfectly fine, and so I'm just going to start doing my own things my own way. God... You might be there. Uh, God, I know you might be a person, uh, someone who is, is good, but at the moment, I don't find too much need for you and I'm just going to do my own things. So God is ignored. God is rejected. God has been pushed out of our life. And to our great surprise, God is angry because of this. Now, I don't know uh, whether uh, you uh, find this idea really strange, that God being really angry, but if you have been in a relationship and then you've been rejected by your boyfriend or a girlfriend, you will know what, it, what, it's, what it's like to be rejected. What, you, you will know how painful it really is when the, when the relationship is broken when the trust is, is no longer there, when you say, well, I don't really care about you because I've got my own life to live, that feeling of rejection is horrible. It is detrimental. It is tragic. Imagine your spouse one day getting up in the morning and say, honey, I don't love you anymore. I actually have somebody else in my life and I'm going to, well file a divorce. I'm sorry about it, but I can't deny myself. Uh, I want to be true to my feeling. I don't love you anymore. And so I'm, I'm going. Goodbye. See you later. May this never happen to you, but even when it does, I won't blame you if you lose your mind. I mean, that's the reality of human existence, isn't it? Relationship is so important, and it is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. And when we turn our back against God, it cuts him. God is angry about this. All the more so because he is the one who made all this. He's the one who owns all this. He's the one who sustains all the life and gives us all good things and yet we say no. And that is a terrible thing. And so... Uh, the book of Romans, uh, we, we, uh, we, we went through this quite a while ago, but since the, the beginning of the book, chapter 1, 2, and 3, it's been telling us again and again and again that we all need God's forgiveness. We all need God's forgiveness because the way we've been treating him, because the way we rejected him, the way we turned our back against him. Now, you might know this in your heart. You might know that all your life you've been ignoring him 
and you've been turning your back against him and that you've been living your own life the your own way without him. If that is you, and if you know that that is true for you, well then, what can you do about it? What can be done to mend the relationship? What can be done to fix the problem? And that's where today's passage begins. Notice how in verse 21 he says, but now God's righteousness or righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. But now something amazing has happened. We were living in death and we were living in, in condemnation. We've been living in a, such a mess because of our rebellion against God in a hopeless situation. Notice all the problems that we experience in life. Death reigns. Everyone dies. Relationship suffers. We will eventually lose our loved ones. Sometimes we lose our job. Sometimes our friends um, disappoint us. Sometimes our health fails. And so we've been trapped in this life of bondage. It is a terrible, terrible um, state of existence, isn't it? To be human in this world is to be in bondage. We are in bondage to decay. Our body is wasting away. We are in bondage to utter hopelessness. We've been feeling it, haven't we? Because we've turned our back against God and we replace that emptiness with whatever else that we fancy and yet those things can never fulfil uh, our aspirations and our, our expectations, we become more and more and more hopeless and people are turning to things that will never satisfy them and this vicious cycle continues and it's just, just a downward spiral again and again and again we are disappointed and so we look for something else and the something else seem like they are working only for a short time and yet there is no hope we know God because the Bible reminds us, we know that there is nothing else but his anger and condemnation reserved for us. It is a horrible thought to speak of hell. It is a terrible thing. The idea is horrible that we will be condemned to the rest of eternity facing God's anger cast out from all the good things that God has provided for us as a consequence of our rebellion against him. But now, he says, the righteousness of God has now been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Something amazing has happened. Now, what is this amazing that has happened? He says, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Uh, what do we mean by righteousness? Uh, can I ask you um, just to turn to the person sitting next to you and uh, see if you can explain to, to one another what this righteousness of God might mean 
in a sentence or two, no more than a sentence. Um, see if you can explain to each other what this righteousness of God might mean. Have a go. Okay. If you, if you are still going, it probably means that you won't be able to explain it. Right. Um, because it, it is an obvious thing. However, I think it's, it, it's a little bit ambiguous as well. Um, so if you're sort of rambling on, trying to find the right words and ideas and concepts, it probably means that you haven't understood it. It's a weird expression, the righteousness of God. We know the word righteous or righteousness, and we know the word God, but when we put together the righteousness of God, what do we actually mean? Does it mean the rightness of God? Does it mean uh, it's some sort of quality that God has? Has that been revealed? Is it talking about God's justice? Is it talking about his uprightness? What do we mean by the righteousness of God being revealed? And why is that as such a momentous thing in the context of the flow of the argument. Well, I don't have heaps of time, so I'll just uh, tell you what I think it is. The righteousness of God here is a fairly technical term. Uh, it is used fairly consistently throughout the book of Romans. It means the way God saves sinners. I think that's what the righteousness of God, the phrase means, the way God saves sinners. But now, this special way that God has been preparing to save sinners has now came to the foreground. We can see it, we can understand it, and we can benefit from this righteousness of God. You know, uh, right throughout the Old Testament, that uh, God has been revealing himself to be kind, gracious, loving, patient God who is rich in mercy, abounding in love, the one who forgives freely. And, and so right throughout the Old Testament, uh, the, 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 the law and the prophets have been speaking about this all along. And yet it has now come to, to our attention in a kind of a really fresh way. We can now understand it. And you see why, uh, you can understand why uh, some of the, the, the theologians throughout history have been saying that this passage, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 onwards, is probably one of the most important parts of the Bible. Why is that? Because this passage speaks about the way God saves us. It speaks about the way that God would lift the human problems and bring to us our greatest need. You see there in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so we come to the whole issue of faith. How do we get right with God? How do we, how do we reconcile with God? How can our relationship with God be mended? Well, notice there, first and foremost, there is a basis. And then there is means. Uh, these two words may, may not mean very much to you at the moment, but let me explain to you what I mean. 
Notice how he goes on to speak about in in the second half of verse 22, for there is no distinction uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here is a first very important word that we need to think about. He said, all have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, We have been made right with God through the idea of redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, Redemption is not... Um, a, a common word that we use in our day-to-day life. Um, hands up those if you can think of the, the occasion where you use the word redemption outside church. No idea. I, I, don't think, uh, I've, I don't think I've ever used the word redemption outside the Christian fellowship. Although the idea uh, is, is not foreign uh, in our society. Redemption is a little bit like taking uh, something that belongs to you to a pawn shop. You take something and you say, can I sell this to you or you keep it for a while and in exchange I'm going to borrow some money from you. It happens all the time. And when you now have the, the money and probably the interest um, on the money that you borrowed, you go back to the pawn shop and say, well, you know, uh, thank you very much for lending me the money. Uh, I, I, I was able to uh, use the money for, for good cause, but here is the, 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 uh, the principle as well as the interest. I'm going to give it back to you. I want my, my whatever else back. That's redemption, right? And so what Paul is saying here is, is that, Because of uh, our rejection of God, we were in significant debt. We owe God so much. There had to be a payment made. And God is the one who made that payment. by paying the life of his own son. Jesus Christ came into this world and gave his life as a payment in order to free us from the bondage of sin and death. We were not able to free ourselves. We try very hard. We we try to be religious. We try to be moral. We try to be be a good person, whatever, whatever else that, that we, we, we try to do, we just could not free ourselves because the debt was just so much. And yet, in single act of laying down his life on our behalf, Jesus paid a penalty, made a payment, and bought our freedom. So that's the first idea. Second idea is, uh, is what comes after it. It says there in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Um, propitiation in verse 25 is a really, really 
important word for us to understand. Again, uh, it is not a, a, a word that we use very often in our day-to-day language, but nevertheless in the Bible is probably one of the most important words that we need to, to understand. Propitiation means making peace. It means reconciling. It means um, turning someone's anger away. You know, um, uh, husbands, uh, what do you do when you forget your husband's... Uh, your, not your husband's, your wife's... <laughs> your wife's birthday or, or um, your wedding anniversary, what do you do? It's unthinkable, isn't it? You forget your wife's birthday or you forget your uh, wedding anniversary, it is unforgivable. There's nothing you can do to redeem yourself. I mean, you will hear, it, hear about it for the rest of your life. Remember the time that you forgot my birthday? Remember the time that you forgot... Now, you will need to do, you will need to try very hard to appease your wife. You will try, you have to try very hard. But you see, that's the idea of propitiation, turning one's anger away. Remember I told you that, that because of our rejection, God has been angry with us, and rightly so, because of our denial of the relationship and God's anger has been poured upon us. That's why we all die. And yet by dying in our place, through his blood, God's anger has now been turned away. See, that's the basis of our reconciliation with God. That's how we get justified. That is, that's how we are made right with God. Uh, Now, uh, back in uh, 1996, um, that's the year that I got married, Um, back in 1996, another significant thing happened. My marriage was one, but something else significant happened. Port Arthur Massacre. Uh, Hands up those of you who remember it. Uh, if you can't, it means you were born after that, and so you're probably in your still 30s and so on. Uh, well, not, not 30s, yes, 30s. Um, no, 20s. Yeah, it's not, not that long ago, wasn't it? Uh, in Port Arthur, Tasmania, uh, in 1996, um, a gunman uh, burst into uh, the tourist site, uh, fired his, uh, his gun, killed 35 people, and uh, 23 were injured. It was a horrendous um, incident. You know, my wife and I, Jessica and I, we were there two weeks prior to, uh, to this thing. If we got there two weeks later, we would have been caught up in that terrible, terrible situation. We were just absolutely shocked when this happened. But as a result of this massacre, um, then Prime Minister John Howard um, started a campaign uh, gun buyback campaign. Remember, remember that? Uh, it went on for 12 months uh, from the 1st of October 1996 to the 30th of, of September the following year. Uh, during the time, staggering over a million firearms were brought back and they were destroyed. The estimated cost of $500 million. You know, I just can't believe that there were million, over a million firearms just 
floating around in our society. And yet the government said, bring them back. No questions asked. We're going to pay for it. And, you know, uh, it, amnesty will be, will, be, will be declared. Now, what is happening here is a little bit like that. You know, um, uh, the government laid a foundation, the basis for this amnesty. Uh, all you need to do is to believe the promise the government has made and you need to take the action by getting up, taking your firearm and taking it to the police station and report it and then you get the payment. Right. You taking the firearm to the police station is not the basis of amnesty. If there was no promise made by the government and yet you take the, the, the firearm to the police station and you will be arrested. But because the, the promise has been made and all the work has been done and the government has now laid a foundation for this, for, for this to, to happen, all you needed to do was to take the gun back to the police station. And so the basis of our forgiveness or our justification is the redemption and the propitiation that happened through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice how it goes on to say, but it is also through faith. That is the means by which we take benefit of this provision that God has made. You cannot be saved. You cannot, be, uh, you cannot enjoy the benefit of, of God's provision unless you put your trust in that provision. Um, friends, um, uh, we might be uh, the people who are so caught up in our society's way of thinking that we need to prove ourselves to deserve something. You know, an uh, endless uh, evaluation at work performance evaluations, you know, your manager calls you in and you need to sit down and you need to go through uh, what sort of things that you've been doing and how well you've been performing. You know, uh, if you're a student, you have to go to the, the university or school, whatever it might be, and you need to sit down and you need to prove yourself that you actually have digested all the materials. Uh, we need to prove ourselves in, in certain ways to, to earn the trust of our, of our future spouse. When you make the decision as to whether this person is worthy of being your husband or wife, what do you do? You, you observe and you watch and, and you need to sort of earn the respect of the other person. You need to earn the trust. We are so conditioned in our society to, to, to be mindful of other people's opinions of us. And that's why we are so caught up in this whole beauty industry, this, this health industry, we want, to be, we want to be well perceived by other people. We want to impress others. What other people think of us really, really matters. And so we work hard. We sacrifice ourselves. We, we, we try to perform to our best ability and nothing is free in our society. And so this whole idea of being forgiven by God, free of charge, 
without our effort or, or whatever else is a really, really difficult concept for people to understand. God forgives freely. God forgives without us having to do anything. That cannot be right. It doesn't sound right. No, no, no. I have to contribute. I have to, I have to do something about it. I have to uh, be a good person. I have to go to church. I have to read my Bible. I have to... And the passage says, no. The righteousness of God has now been revealed. And this righteousness of God is the way God forgives freely those who do not deserve his kindness... And all there is to do is for us to put our trust in that promise. But notice how this faith, this trust, is something that brings so much freedom to all of us. And notice how the passage says, there is no distinction you know, uh, the way God reconciles people to himself, there's only one way. It's not as if God would reconcile certain people a certain way and other people in other ways. It's not as if God saves the, the people of Israel way and the Gentiles in another way. It is not as if God would save the, uh, the religious people one way and non-religious people another way. It is not as if there is, there is no distinction Everyone is treated the same in God's eyes. You don't, have to, you don't have to be anything. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to do anything to impress God. There is no distinction. God would treat everyone exactly the same, and that way is by his grace. And how freeing is that? You know... Uh, we don't have to try and impress God. We don't even have to be a good person in order to earn God's trust. It's just that God freely gives because the foundation has been laid. God has paid a penalty on our behalf and all we need to do is get up and go to him and say, God, thank you very much. I'd like to change. I'd like to enjoy the benefit that you have so freely bestowed upon me. That's faith. But this faith brings us so much confidence as well. You know, it's not because it depends on us, but depends on God. We can be absolutely sure and certain that we will enjoy God's benefit. You know what, if it all depends on me and my performance then everything hangs on me and it is a terribly anxious thing. Remember, you know, when the manager called you into the office and said, well, let's go through the uh, six months evaluation? You become anxious. You've got you've to prove yourself. You've got to say, well, it, the, the money's been well spent on me because of all these things that I've done and you need to, you need to prove yourself. Uh, if you are a high-achieving, high-performing self-confident person, well, you might sort of feel secure about your job. But there is always this niggling doubt, isn't there, that this job might go. Not with God. 
we can be absolutely and 100% assured because it does not depend on me, but depends on God. God has made a promise. He made a declaration. He says, I'm going to freely pardon everyone because I've done everything that is necessary for this pardon to, to, to go to, the, to benefit people. And so there is no room for any doubt or uncertainties. We can be absolutely assured. And how freeing is that? That brings true freedom to our life. But it also calls for faith. You know, uh, um, uh, the cancer research is making a significant um, progress, I, I hear. It'll be quite some time for cure, uh, cancer to be cured permanently, but I hear that we are making progress. And in the, the drugs that they use to, uh, to, 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 to uh, slow down the process uh, is improving all the time. Uh, and uh, by God's grace, at some stage, I hope and pray that um, uh, it will. We will come up with cure for cancer. But just imagine, one day, somewhere around in the world, a clever scientist came up with solution for cancer and it is freely and readily available the work has been done you don't have to do your own research you don't have to do anything it's all been done and it's it's certain uh, cure for 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 cancer the world is in turmoil because of excitement just imagine you are one of the cancer patients and you're sitting in your room hearing this news. That's a great news. I'm glad that they've come up with a cure for cancer. And you sit there and you do nothing. That'll be a tragedy, wouldn't it? What do you need to do? You need to get up. You need to ring up the doctor and say, I am one of the cancer patients. I need your help. Can you help me? Now, that's faith, isn't it? That is admitting your need and turning yourself to the source of the help that can help you and committing yourself to, to that cure. That's what faith is. It is no surprise, therefore, when Jesus came into this world and he began his earthly ministry, the very first thing that he said was, do you remember that? The kingdom of heaven is near. Therefore, repent and believe. Therefore, repent and believe. That is, acknowledge your need. And go to the source of the help. And put yourself to that person's hand. And you will receive the benefit that is so freely available because the generous God, the kind and forgiving God, has done everything that is necessary to ensure this forgiveness. And so once again, I turn to those of you uh, in this room 
you have been uncertain about your relationship with God, if you're one of them and you've come along this morning and you've heard it, how God can forgive you, how you can actually um, enjoy the benefit of God's kindness, what do you need to do? First and foremost, understand God's kindness. Understand that even though you were sinful and deserving of death, God paid the penalty himself so that there is nothing that you need to do. All there is now left is to turn to God and say, God, I have been rejecting you. I've been living my life in my own way. I really need your forgiveness. I'm now here trusting your promise. I'm now here. I ask you for mercy, forgiveness. And that is the faith that saves us. And it is my prayer that this faith might be granted to you through the work of his spirit, that you might enjoy the benefit of God's kindness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of our Lord Jesus, that he came into this world, dying the death that we deserved, and giving us the new life through the forgiveness of sins. Father, how wonderful it is that you have been so generous and kind. Uh, Father, uh, if there are those uh, in this room who have been thinking about how they might uh, come into a proper relationship with you, we pray that you would enable them to put their trust in the promise that you have made uh, through Jesus, that they might receive your forgiveness and the new life that is so freely available. For those of us who have been living um, in a new relationship with you, help us, Father, to keep on growing in our confidence, uh, in our humility, and to keep on living each day to please you in every way, because we are so thankful and that we ask and pray these things for Jesus' sake.